High Praise Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Garrett, Youth Pastor at High Praise Panama City. I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. No matter if you just missed a service or if you happen to stumble across our show, we believe and we pray that God is going to bless you through today's episode. So open up your hearts, receive what God has in store for you. Tonight is called Check Your Heart. So everyone say, Check Your Heart. Look at your neighbor and say, Check Your Heart. So of like... I don't think we're as bad about this anymore, and maybe I'm just old and I don't realize it, but I would say like a decade ago, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, the church specifically got real bad about using like these real cheesy Christian phrases over and over and over again. Um, One of them being, check your heart. Um, We used to always say, um, join your journey. Uh, We loved the word journey as a church. Um, y'all remember any others? Am I missing some? I know there's like some cringy Christian sayings out there that we would just always say as a church. Um, and so this one, what'd you say? Season. We love the word season. Season of singleness. We love the seasons of singleness. Um, yeah, we love to use, we love to use single, or I'm sorry, we love to use the word season because uh, that sounds better. Yeah, no one should say dare da- daddy God. If you say daddy God, please stop. We love you. It makes everyone else uncomfortable. Um, say, if you need to say it, something like that, just say Abba, okay? It's Hebrew and it sounds better, um, but you don't have to say Daddy, okay? So we all appreciate it. We're just gonna make that public as part of our culture. You don't have to say Daddy when you're talking to God. Um, anyway, so check your heart. Tonight is about checking in on your heart. Um, if you want, I'm going to be in like, I usually don't, I don't like doing this, but I, I've got to do this tonight. Um, I'm going to be a little bit of everywhere. For, so those of you that like, like to get to the place in scripture or your passage, um, I won't really stay anywhere super long. So just, I'm sorry, deal with it. But I will give you plenty of stuff to take notes on. Anyone here ever been to the doctor? Raise your hand if you've been to the doctor. Most of you have probably been to the doctor, I hope. Who here has gotten a physical? And how to get a physical for a job or a sport or something like that? Okay, so pretty much any time like you ever go to the doctor, uh, what do they check your heart with? Yeah, one of those things. Graham, what is it? Yeah, stethoscope. Um, and what happens? What do they do? What are they listening for? They're listening for a heartbeat, right? Beats per minute. There you go. BPM. Just made that up. Um, BPM. That's what they listen for. Anyone here? So you understand when you go to the doctor, they usually put the little thing on your chest or over your shirt or whatever, and they're like listening for your heartbeat, and they like get real quiet, and they've got things in their ear, and the doctor's trying to listen to your heart, and like, you know, most of the time, they're like, okay, everything sounds pretty good. Tonight is essentially that same exact thing. Tonight, I want to use some scripture. Um, I'm going to ask you a lot of uh, rhetorical questions. Everyone know what rhetorical means? It means you don't answer. So if I ask you a question tonight, uh, usually I ask questions and I like feedback. Tonight, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I just want you to keep it to yourself. Okay? Uh, Look at your neighbor and say, keep it to yourself. Okay, wonderful. TMI. 
You know, you know what I mean? So I want to ask you a few questions about your heart. I want to just kind of take, uh, do a little checkup on maybe some things that maybe some of us are feeling, some of us might be going through. Most of the time, whenever you have an internal problem, you want to catch it before it gets too serious, right? Like if you feel healthy, healthy people still go to the doctor, right? You still go get, you get checkups, you go get a physical, like that's still okay. And so even if you're in the room tonight, you're like, dude, I love Jesus more than I ever have. And like, this is just, this is dumb. Like I'm a great Christian. That's wonderful. But I do want you to listen to some of the things that even that scripture says and Jesus says, and maybe we can catch some stuff before they become like this huge massive issue in your life that's causing you to like, you know, have some problems. Um, and or you might just really, you might already be there and we're going to help get some stuff resolved tonight. So first question I have for you is, is your heart guarded? Everyone say guarded. guarded. Wonderful. Um, I want to, I'm going to read you like real quick. I'm going to read you a few different scriptures. Okay. In three different areas in the old Testament, God is specifically talking to one of his prophets and one central theme of the Old Testament, this is before Jesus, and is talking to the Israelites and all the things that they're going through. The Israelites have this constant problem with the Lord where they are struggling with just remaining faithful, right? Like they cannot, we've done our wilderness series, some of y'all might remember this. Like they're having a real hard time staying committed to the Lord, okay? And they might, they go through seasons and they go through journeys right, where they're real committed to God, and, and they're faithful, and they're doing great, and they're prospering, and then the roller coaster just bottoms out, okay, and then they go back up, and they go back up, and they go back up, and so one thing that we, we constantly see in the Old Testament is God trying to explain to his people through the prophets, I'm concerned about your heart, so listen, he says this, um, he says this to Samuel, he says, the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Later on, he tells Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. He also tells this to Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. So tonight's message is super important, uh, mainly because I think all of us need to have this, this foundational understanding. When God looks at you, when he looks at your life, even when he looks at your decisions, when he looks at the words that come out of your mouth, what's he looking at? You can respond to that one. Yeah, good job. He's looking at your heart. And so how many of us, we, have any of here ever had like a conflict with somebody, but you've had a real hard time explaining why what they did was wrong to someone else? You ever done this before? I, I you know, I've got, we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And... One of the more common conversations we're having right now is um, has to do with tattletaling. Anyone hear a tattletale? Shailen, that was really weird that everyone pointed at you and then you raised your hand. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, so anyway, I have a six-year-old that tattles, and we have a four-year-old that tattles over everything. And I'm, when I say everything, I mean everything, like he looked at me weird. He's breathing the same air as me. We're in that phase of like parenthood of like, hey, don't touch each other. And they're like, okay, I'm not touching her. I'm not touching her. I'm not, you know, we're in that phase of parenthood right now where it's just constant, constant conflict. And it's conflict over stuff that really just doesn't even matter, right? It's over like the, it, to be frank, it's just over some of the dumbest stuff on the planet. Check your heart. That's the title. 
And so where we're at right now, and even like conversations I'm having with my six-year-old, is not even so much about his actions. It's more so it's about his heart towards his four-year-old sister, right? Like I care about his actions, right? I care a lot about what his actions, because, you know, kids can do not great things a lot. But I also really care about his heart towards his sister, okay? Because I believe if, if the more we can correct his heart, his actions will follow, and a lot of times as Christians, I think we just really want to fix our actions, but we never really take like, care of our hearts. You know what I mean? Like We really want to stop cussing, but we, we just focus on the habit. We really want to stop messing up here. We really want to stop this problem. We really want to stop this addiction. We really want to, uh, you know, well, I don't know, guys. You'll fill in the blank. But we really want to stop a certain behavior. We want to modify the behavior. And we get really hung up on like, God, I'm so sorry. I've been dealing with this and I've been doing this and I can't stop. You don't ever hear told God, I'll never do it again. But then you did it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. We get so hung up because we think what frustrates God is our, is our actions. And hear me, please do not misunderstand me. God cares about your actions. But what I think would help you more than anything is not getting so hung up on how many times you've messed up or what you've done or did you slip up again, how many curse words came out of your mouth, but maybe start having a conversation between you and the Lord and saying, God, I need you to correct my heart on some things. Jesus, when, you, when you're at an altar or when you're at school, when you're in your prayer time, maybe you need to start having conversations of like, Lord, I, I need you to turn my heart away from these people. I need, you to, I need you to turn my heart more towards you. I need you to affect the way my heart and my mind so much that that's not even a desire of me anymore to talk like that. Because to be honest, what I think really happens a lot of times is the Spirit of God really wants to modify our hearts. He wants to modify the way we believe. Like We quote the scripture all the time in Romans 12. We are transformed by the renewing of our... Yes. So many of you said it. Super proud of you, Pastor Moment. We are transformed by the renewal of our mind. And we just want to renew our hands. You know, we just want to, we want to come to church, wash our hands, and be like, huh, I'm clean. I can go back out into the world now. Next Wednesday, next Sunday, I'm going to come back and worship, you know, be prayed over. And it's like, it's like taking a bath. And as long as we look clean and sound clean, we're okay. Let me just tell you this right now. That is not how the Lord sees you. Okay, I just read you three scriptures. I'm probably going to read you some more tonight. God is always going to look at your heart first. Okay, He is always, first and foremost, I think there can be people with really good hearts that do some dumb stuff. And there are some people with some really bad hearts that do some really great things. Do you agree? There are people that I would probably label bad people but they are still capable of doing great things, okay? You can be a good person and still do messed up stuff. What I want to do tonight is I want you to genuinely, not out loud and not with your neighbor, I want you to take assessment of what is going on in your heart. I don't want us to fall, I don't ever want us to fall into this trap of like, man, I got the, I got the behaviors of a Christian down good, you know? I know I think God real well. You know what I mean? I know when the hands go up. I know when it's dancing time. I know when church is. I'm in the app. I'm on the, I've even started tithing a little bit. I don't ever want us to become so concerned 
that we, have, we are starting to hit the mark in our behavior, but allow our hearts to grow cold or bitter or angry. You get what I'm saying? And this happens far more often than we realize. Let me just be honest with you tonight. Reaching a place where you feel like your behavior is in line with God does not mean your heart is in line with God. There are tons of people even in Scripture where their behavior was in line with what the Lord wanted. Their behavior looked good, but we knew in their hearts something was wrong. How long do we think Judas walked the walk and talked the talk, but his heart was becoming hardened towards the Lord? King Saul, the same thing. I mean, we could, we could talk about that. Probably. I, could ju- I could probably just talk about that tonight. So I want you to, this is a serious topic because I care, first and foremost, I care, I care about your behavior. I've had this weird southern accent coming out all day, and I don't know where it's coming from. So just, yeah, I don't know. I did an all-day-through internship. There's just been these little words that have been creeping up, like, I don't know what's happening. So just forgive me. So my first question for you tonight is simple. Is your heart guarded? Proverbs 4.23. Uh, most of you have probably heard this. If you've not heard this, you need to highlight it, write it down, put it on a sticky note, tell it to your grandma. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The first thing I want to do, especially, and hear me, this one probably, um, this one really applies to those of you that would say you, you feel like your heart's in a good place. I believe there are people in this room, your heart is in a good place. It's probably in a good posture towards the Lord. You're probably doing pretty well, maybe even better than ever before, as far as like feeling, having intimacy with God, praying, reading your Bible, loving the Lord, just growing closer to Him. I am not, so please don't be like, your hearts are all crap and you're faking it and I'm tired of it. That's not my heart towards you tonight. My heart towards you is I know there are people at different stages in this room. And for, so for those of you that would honestly be like, hey, I feel like my heart is in a pretty good place. Not perfect, but pretty good then the next thing we need to do is we need to start having conversations about, is your heart protected? Okay. If Scripture tells us to guard our hearts for, ab- for above all else, because from it determines the course of our life, and there are a bunch of different versions of that Scripture, they all, they all point back to the same thing. <coughs> but is your, does your heart have boundaries around it? Because so many of you work so hard to get to this place with God and we can work so hard and we can have accountability and community and I see this happen a lot through summer that's easier because you're around the right people and we can finally be like I'm, I'm back to where I feel like I need to be with the Lord or I'm finally maybe getting closer where I want to be with God and then something happens like going back to school and getting around certain people and you go in with the purest and cleanest of hearts but because it's not guarded, because it's not protected, because there's not boundaries in place, it soils it very quickly. You'll know the saying, um, <coughs> good, bad company ruins good character. And so what I, what I want you to do, good heart people, healthy heart people, is ask yourself, what determines what gets access to this heart of yours? How easy is it For one, your enemy to get access to your heart, but also people. See, one thing that I really wish young people, especially young ladies, would understand 
is the importance of your heart. See, guys, we, they typically, um, you're in youth, so you can handle this conversation. And so if you're in fifth or sixth grade, just welcome to youth. Sorry. <laughs> typically what happens is as guys, we are like, I have to remain physically pure. And like we get behind, we, be, we get really behind this notion of like, you're going to be pure. You're going to, you're not going to, you're not going to be sexually active. You're going to reject pornography as a young man of God. And you're going to do all these great things. And we really get behind this and we really push this. It's like, you're going to, you're going to remain sexually pure for your wife one day. Right? Right? It's not, that's not a bad thing. Right? Okay. Golly, y'all were like, what's he talking about? <laughs> God, y'all made me nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, that one was not rhetorical. That one I needed a little reassurance with. But thank you. But see, what happens is on the, on the flip end of it, though, we kind of avoid, like, giving our heart to people. And so what I really wish and what I think we need to balance out is, yes, you need to remain physically pure and not engage in sexual activity outside of marriage but also on the, there's this other side of it where it's like i'm not gonna like you know have sex with this person but emotionally we give them access to everything inside of us and we we give we give them access to our heart so quickly right it's funny i think we give access to people what god looks at the most but we're most worried about what man sees the most in our appearance and, and being physical and so where we obsess over like, I just, we can't touch, we can't kiss, I don't want to do this. I got to make sure I'm just, you know, and we're, we are so concerned. And hear me, I'm not disagreeing with that. I just want the same amount of effort that we put into remaining sexually pure as keeping our hearts pure from other people. Because ladies, just to be honest, most of us walk around and the first dude who makes that heart go pitter patter, we're like, you can have it. It's yours. I love you. Don't ever leave. I'll tell you a very... Very quick. And don't act like I'm lying. I'm not going to ask that question. I'll tell you a personal story to prove this point. Because I don't want to embarrass anyone in this room. When I, first, when I first got saved around 17, one of the worst things I did was then I just started dating all the church girls. Because it opened up. It, yeah, every dude's like, yeah, me too, dude. Like, why do you think I'm here right now, dude? <laughs> <laughs> and so when I got saved, it opened up a whole new, um, it opened a whole new dating pool for me, right? Because now I'm saved and I love God and I'm a Christian who wants to be pure and look, you know, all these great, wonderful things in the first, God, I got to, this is going to be online, but there's no way they'd ever hear this, Right. Right, I won't use their name. The first person, the first Christian girl I ever dated, the very first, I don't even know if it was a date. It was like one of those, like, we're just hanging out one-on-one, -on -one, trying to figure out if we like each other. And it was around Christmas time, and we left our small group's Christmas party. Okay, I'm driving, 2001 Pontiac Grand Am, blacked out, slick ride, super cool. It was really cool. And uh, at this Christmas party, two of our youth leaders had, they, who were married announced their pregnancy. Super cool moment. Afterwards, we went, we had diners in Arkansas, so you could just go like, you know, anyone know what Village Inn is? Heck yeah. Thank you, Jasmine. The rest of you suck. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and so we like went and like got like 
there's this restaurant called Village Inn. You can just go, like, they have pie, and you just go get pie. It's just something you do. Totally irrelevant to the story. Stop it. And so on the way home, I'm dropping her off at her house. And I'm like, hey, I really, like, this was cool. This was good. This was a good night for me. And she said, can you just imagine, like, in a few years, that's going to be us doing what Dave and Andrea did. Who announced their pregnancy. And I was like, no freaking way. I was terrified in this moment. If you don't understand what happened, she was saying, we are, in just a few years, we'll be married announcing our pregnancy to people. And we had just, like, learned each other's name a couple weeks ago. Is that that moment I realized that church girls are a crazy and a crazy. And I, caught, I left, dropped her off. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're not all like that. Just that one really was. I literally, I left, dropped her off, picked up the phone, called my youth leader. I was like, yo, this is what this person just said. And they're like, dude, no way. You can't, like, anyway, we never hung out again because it was cuckoo land. But I really, yo, we laugh. We laugh. But the first Christian guy or Christian girl who makes it seem like all of God's will has fallen in your lap, we're just like, rip it out and have it. You can have everything. Don't ever leave me. Because we, we don't guard our heart in that way. We don't guard our heart in that way. Because the thing is, we don't value it the way we value our bodies. We're taught to value your bodies. You know, you don't touch people. You don't let them have access to you. But we don't guard our heart. And what, what I think really, what I think burdens God is that he looks down at his people who are so willing to give away what he values the most. And I think that breaks his heart more than anything, is we are so willing to get, we want people to have access to our heart. We want people, we, we want people to love us. We want people to know we love them. We want, we, we are so desperate. Young ladies, we can become so desperate to be known emotionally. I just want to remind you right now, nobody should have access to your heart. Nobody should have access to your heart that didn't first go through the Lord. No one, and I'm, this is not a dating message, but we're just here, so we're just going to stick with it for a moment. This goes for both men and women in the room. Nobody should have access to you that has not made a commitment to you. If it just takes an empty promise to get access to the deepest, darkest secrets of your life and emotions and your heart and like everything about you, if all it takes is a few words and a few texts with a few emojis and a few promises while they hold your hand and look in your eye, you are not guarding your heart. You're not. You might think you are, but you are not. I want to, I just, again, this, this is a rhetorical question time, okay? Don't answer out loud. How much work would it take for someone to get to your heart? How much effort would it take for someone to get to your heart? Huh? I want you to ask yourself this question. How much effort would it take for someone or would it take for your enemy to start affecting your heart? Let's go to the next one. Is your heart anxious? Everyone say anxious. 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 I want to talk about having an anxious heart, a restless heart, kind of same thing. This is in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, Now, as they went on their way... Jesus entered a village, village inn, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Listen, this is the main verse. Youth leaders, 
I want you to listen to this. I'm going to talk to you specifically. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I'm going to paint this picture for you just a little bit. Mary and Martha invite Jesus to come have a meal. Okay? Jesus, the disciples, reclining, sitting around a table. Mary stops what she's doing, stops helping, which is even more culturally significant 2,000 years ago than it would be today, and just sits on the ground. Right? Y'all probably all sat on the floor in the living room before. No more chairs, so she just sits on the ground close to Jesus and just listens. Martha, busy with much serving, getting dinner ready, cleaning. Getting dinner ready was not turning, you know, preheating the oven, throwing something in, putting it in the crock pot. Getting dinner ready meant like plucking chickens and like squashing grapes with your feet and stuff like that. Like getting dinner ready was a big deal. And Martha is growing bitter and anxious. And so finally, she just says, you know, we'll let God's here, so we'll just let God decide. Jesus. I love this, uh, and I think it's, I think I picked the one that I wanted to. She, she says, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Notice she's not confronting Mary. She's almost a little frustrated with God. Right? She's kind of a little frustrated with Jesus. She's like, hey, why haven't you said anything? She's a little frustrated with Jesus. Why have you, do you not care that my sister has left me to do this alone? Do you not see how hard I'm working? Do you not see how frustrated I am? Do you not see how like, unfair this is? She's sitting on her butt. Our job is to prepare the meal. This is what you invited us over for. <clears throat> now, Mary, Martha, I'm sorry, Martha is expecting for Jesus to be like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry, Mary, get your butt up and go help your sister. And Jesus doesn't say these things. Listen to what he says. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taking, well, sorry, will not be taken away from her. This is a very countercultural moment. This is not just kind of one of those moments of like Jesus is like, you know, it's fine. Sabbath doesn't matter. Like, this is a moment where he is, he is trying to emphasize to Martha that what Mary is doing is necessary. I want you to think about what Mary's doing for a moment. <clears throat> Sometimes we read this, and I think we imagine that Jesus is, like, performing miracles at the table, or that Jesus is doing something insane. The reality is, Jesus probably isn't talking to her. That's the reality. The reality is, Jesus is most likely talking to his disciples. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings. So, spoiler alert, keep reading the book. Something crazy happens to Lazarus later. He's most likely, remember when Lazarus dies, she's like, hey, you love Lazarus, remember? Like, that's where this all comes from. And so, Jesus is not, most likely, 
most likely not having anything to do with Mary. Mary is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, hanging on every word that he has to say that is probably has nothing to do with her. And to be honest, she, probably, she might not have understood the vast majority of it. Just being honest, as a woman in that day, she didn't know Scripture. She didn't understand a lot of the, the, the cultural structure of what was happening. They, they, she, was, she just wanted to be there. She just realized, oh my gosh, if this man is who he says he is, and I believe this is who he says he is, I'm not worried about anything else. Because something he might do or say might be for me. But I, when I read the story, I imagine Jesus and his 12 and probably plus at least 13 guys sitting around having conversation maybe about uh, just some of the things that have happened, things they're dealing with, some of the threats, the Pharisees, all this crazy stuff. And here you have Mary just kind of like sitting, you know, probably leaned up against a wall just like in awe. Holy cow. That's the Savior we've been waiting for. He's in my house. That's God in the flesh. Sometimes I think we read and we're like, Jesus and Mary and this dead, you know, he's just pouring out his soul to Mary and Mary's just being changed forever. See, Mary was just content to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so I want to address this anxious heart issue because sometimes I think we expect and we, we get a little entitled with God a little bit. And we have, this, we have this anxiousness or entitlement, you can call it restlessness, you can call it a few different things. Maybe we come to an altar, we come to church, or we just go into you know, our room to pray, or we're praying in our car, just listening to worship music, and we, we expect, we put, the, we put the wrong expectations on the Lord. And it takes a few times of being prayed over, going to an altar, praying in your room, not feeling anything, not hearing anything, to kind of be like, okay, this isn't working the way I thought it was going to work. This is getting a little old. And we start to get anxious. We start to get a little restless. And we start to get a little Mary, Martha-ish. Right? He says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Hear me, I believe in servanthood. Servanthood is the foundation of all leadership. Jesus came not to <coughs> be served, but to serve. So I'm not downplaying serving in any way, shape, or form. What I do want to call to attention, especially the youth leaders in the room and especially the interns in the room that just spent all summer really serving. May we never get so distracted with much serving that we miss the fact that God's in the room. May we never, ever, ever, and hear my heart, I don't want you guys to ever become so enamored with making sure church runs well or that I need something or the service needs something that we start to become disconnected. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. That we start to become disconnected from the Spirit. Or we just, we just start to become numb to the fact that we get to be in the presence of God. And, so, and I know this can happen. I've done this a long time. I say a long time. But I've done it long enough. One pitfall of being in church long enough is we can start to become distracted with much serving. Hear me. I don't think Martha's heart was, was evil. Okay? 
I think she probably cared a lot about the meal she was about to serve to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Any person in this room would. If I got asked to cook for Jesus, homeboy gonna eat the best spaghetti of his life, but I'm gonna care a lot about how well I cook everything, right? I don't cook that much, but I do grill. I, I don't think Martha was like mad at Jesus. I think she tried to maybe put it on him as to like, this is, this is confusing to me a little bit. This isn't making sense to me. She's sitting on the floor. But where Martha was missing it is she didn't have a full re revelation as to who he really was. See, he, I'm going to read it to you one more time because I just I can't put it better than this. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Let me just say this. There's one thing necessary about our services here on Wednesday nights. There's one thing necessary about the church. There's one thing necessary about your faith, and there's one thing necessary about your daily Christian walk. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Choose the good portion. It will not be taken away from you. One thing is necessary for a night like tonight. It's for the Spirit of God to be here. It's to not quench the Spirit. That's what's necessary. What's necessary is that you are affected by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God tonight. That's what's necessary. How, how the mics act up or if the words on the screen goof or the screens or, you know, we get the tables or the game or the countdown goes down the right time. Those things matter. Hear me. They're not necessary. I'm sp just speaking just specifically to those of you that help this church run. Those things matter. Hear me. Those things do matter. But one thing is necessary. And may we never get to a point where our anxiety over the elements cause us to miss what is necessary. We could become so anxious or perfection-minded or all these other things trying to make sure that everything goes the way it's supposed to go. We could totally miss what's necessary. You could do that too in your daily life. You could be so concerned about reading scripture. You could become so concerned about being at church. You could become so concerned about acting the way the Christians are supposed to act that you would miss what's necessary. You would miss the intimacy with the Lord in your life. Going back to what I know we just talked about the guarded heart and all these other things, but guys, one thing is necessary. We can't become so obsessed making sure that we're acting and doing everything right, but missing Jesus. Martha was so worried about making sure everything went the right way that she missed the fact that literally Jesus in the flesh was in her house. So if it's possible for her and Jesus was in the flesh, how much more possible it is for us? This is my last story and I'm going to wrap up. Is your heart bitter? Everyone say bitter. bitter. I want to read you something I came across. I've probably read Hebrews 12 a million times. I love Hebrews 12. This is for the first time. Verse 15 reached out and grabbed me by the neck, pulled me to the book, slapped me around, and put me back in my chair. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I'll read it again. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many are defiled. Many are defiled by bitterness. Bitterness is like cancer. It takes one bitter, negative person in a room to turn like cancer and affect everybody else. And I've always believed this, but I, for, for some reason, this verse like, pretty much said, like, hey, that's what this is saying. It says, no root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. <clears throat> One reason why who you hang out with is so stinking important is because hanging out with bitter people will make you bitter. Hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people. And so as Christians, as Christians, we have a lot of people who claim to know Christ, but they're hurt people. And hurt people, hurt people. And so one of the most detrimental things that's happening to the body of Christ is we have all these people who claim to know Jesus, claim to know healing, claim to know grace, but they're not healed and they're still hurt. And we have people under the name of Jesus hurting people because they're still hurt. And it's a vicious cycle that's got to come to a stop. And one reason I think it never comes to a stop is because, you know, cancer is a hard thing to cure. You either have to, like, completely cut out the cancerous portion and get rid of it. Or you have to go through cell by cell and start getting rid of them. And the same thing happens with bitterness. Y'all know the story. I think I even mentioned it last week. Um, the story of the prodigal son. So, the story of the prodigal son is a parable Jesus tells his disciples. It's about two sons. First son comes to the dad says, hey, I really hate living here. Can you just give me my inheritance and I'm going to go off and like live how I want to? Dad says, sure. Guy goes off, says he squanders his wealth on. Um, you, all know, you all know what the word prodigal means? Prodigal means wasteful. Okay? So, like, when we say the prodigal son, we're, we're literally saying the wasteful son, the pointless son. He goes off and he wastes he spoils his inheritance on crazy, lavish living. He goes to Vegas and blows it all. And then he comes back and he says, he's like on the verge of starving to death. And he's like, I've, I'm just going to go back home. And I'm going to ask my dad if I can just live as a servant. Because even the servants at my dad's house have a better life than I am. Like he's in like eating what pigs eat, basically. And we usually, and I, I do this too, we usually reference this story because we get so enamored with the love the father shows to this first son. And we become like, man, you know, I, I literally did it. I think, I think it was last week. I literally did it last week. The son starts coming home and he's rehearsing the apology he's going to give to the dad. And the dad sees him coming up over the hill. And he like starts running after him, throws a robe around him, puts a ring on his finger, tells the servants, kill the fattened calf. We're having a party. My son's come home. All these great and glorious things. And we're always like, look at the love God has for his sons when they come back home. And the prodigals always come back home. Super important. The second son very rarely gets talked about. This is in Luke 15, verses 20, 29, I think it's 29, 32. That's what I think And this is the father talking to the second son. He says, and he said to him, your brother has come home. Your father, oh, sorry, this is the servant talking to the other brother. Your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat 
that I may celebrate with my friends. I think you have problems. You've never been, this guy was never given a young goat. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but now is found. That parable is so multi-layered, but this second son is a, is a bitter heart. It's probably the best example I could, I could think of today of someone who had a bitter heart. This bitterness that was in him, this attitude that was in him, existed long before this, the first son came home. So for years, the second son has to pick up the slack of the work of the first son who left. It says he was out in the field when the first son came home, didn't even hear about what was going on. So imagine the servant has to tell this, this brother what's happening. The fattened calf has already been killed. The party's already going on. The father is so enamored with the fact that this son has come home, the second son didn't even realize it until, halfway, until, until it's halfway over. Why? Because the second son is working, distracted by much serving. And probably this is what I think about, and I was thinking about this today, I, I would imagine that the second son for years, for years, toiled the fields. I wouldn't have to work so hard if my brother wouldn't have left. Had my brother not left, this, my dad would be in a better place. My dad, you know, I, I hate watching. You, you ever, like, get mad because you see how someone hurts someone close to you? That's what's happening to this man. You, you become angry, and you become bitter. My, my mom never deserved to be treated like that. I hate my dad for what he did to her. My, I, my little sister never deserved to be talked to like that. I can't stand it. You get what I'm saying? And for years, the second son is just becoming bitter and angry. He's fed up. He's tired of it. So much so that years go by and he hates his brother for what he's left him to do, the inheritance that he took, the disrespect, the hurt he's caused his dad, the work that he's had to pick up. And for years he sat in his bitterness and his anger. And then what happens? That guy comes home. And what happens? The dad gives him a family ring and a robe and throws a party and you don't get invited. Why? Because you're working because there's only one brother instead of two. Imagine the bitterness and the anger in this man. Imagine how angry he must be. Those of you, rhetorical question time, those of you that you're bitter, you're angry, family member, mom, dad, friends, you're bitter and you're angry. The, uh, the solution to your bitterness is not to get even. The solution to your hurt, the solution to your anger is not to get even. It's grace. Hebrews 12 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The answer to your bitter heart is grace. And that's probably the last thing anyone wants to hear. 
If you knew the story of Joseph, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers, goes through absolute and atrocious lifestyle, and then one day becomes, rises to power in Egypt, and all his brothers come begging for food. And Joseph, who had had the opportunity to have been bitter and angry, and at that moment could have gotten his revenge, could have destroyed them, could have watched them starve to death at his feet. But he did not succumb to his bitterness, and he gave grace, and he gave mercy. Those of you that are bitter, you're angry, and it won't go away, just be honest with you, it's not going away because you're hoping to see justice happen to these people. There are people that have wronged me in my life, who have lied about me in my life, who have said atrocious things about me, who have treated me in ways I would never treat another person. That goes from family to people in ministry to friends. Never have, has getting even resolved my heart. Never has something bad happening to them resolved my heart. Ever. And hear me, I know, because I know how the enemy likes to talk. I know the enemy likes to whisper unto us, man, it'd be great if something bad happened to them the way something bad happened to you. It won't, won't it be great one day when you get to smile and they're, and they're hurting? One day they'll get what's coming to them. We, we build this self-righteous anger of like, yeah, one day God's going to do it. And God will make just on the people who have wronged me. Can I be honest with you? God runs out to meet that person and we get stuck becoming the second brother who's like I thought for years God would destroy that person for what they did to me and then we end up angry with God we become bitter towards the Lord we become distant from God because we're like why is that person prospering why is that person happy why is that person still in ministry why does that person still have kids and we become bitter and bitter and bitter. The only thing that's ever going to stop this cycle of bitterness in your life is grace and mercy. That's it. It's that simple. There's no other solution. I don't have, there, there's nothing else in Scripture. There's nothing else that's going to happen. There is no other, like, you're going to feel better one day because they're eventually going to go to jail. They're gonna, you're going to feel better one day because something bad's going to happen. That will never make you feel better. The only thing that's going to bring your peace is whenever you can forgive them. The only thing that's going to bring about a change in your life and a change upon your heart to where you will no longer have a bitter heart is you being able to forgive and let go. It's for you to be able to grab a hold of grace and mercy that God's given you and say they deserve it too. It's the only thing that would affect the second brother. For him to say, you know what? That's what my brother needs. That's what he deserves. That's what I would want to happen to me. Let's go celebrate him. But instead, we plant our feet. We're like, that's not how this is supposed to happen. He does not deserve that. And we become tired and angry. And we sit around in our church chairs and our pews and our Easter dresses as some of the most vile, bitter people on the planet because we think we serve a God who's going to exact justice on people that we hate. And again, hurt people, hurt people. If we could become a people that would apply the same grace and mercy that's been given to us to everyone else, there would no longer be bitter Christians. And man, if, what would happen if there were no longer bitter, angry, critical Christians on the planet? If the church was not filled of critical spirits and bitter people? But because we think we have a better understanding of grace and mercy and justice than the Lord, we sit around waiting for our justice to, to happen. We sit around waiting. You know, God, I'm like, man, I've got, guys, I've got issues with 
close people, close family members in my life. And I have spent years of my life wondering, God, when, when, is it, when, when are they going to get what they deserve? And I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I remember specifically, just being honest, wanting something bad to happen to someone who wronged me. Somewhat, somewhat recently in my own life. And there was a moment the Lord spoke to me and he said, do you really think I'm the God who gives people what they deserve? If every one of you got what you deserved, the cross never would have happened. Never would have came back to the garden. I'm not a God who gives people what they deserve, Garrett. And I've given you grace and I've given you mercy and I've given you restoration. And I knew in that moment I could not become the second brother planting my feet saying, you know, God, he says to his dad, I have served you for many years. You've never given me anything. I've served you. I've done this. When he came home, you should have had him killed the moment he set foot back on your property. We do this in churches. The moment they come back in church, I ever run into them in the store, they're going to hear exactly what, what I think they need to hear. Because for, what, for some twisted reason, we think we serve a God who's like, ready to, to do to make us feel better. Your bitter heart is only going to be resolved by grace and mercy. Joseph's heart was only resolved by grace and mercy. Y'all stand with me. Thank you for downloading today's message. Again, we hope that it encouraged you, blessed you, and edified you. If you are a high school, middle school, or even a, a young adult in the Panama City area, we would love to have you come be a part of our services at High Praise Panama City. Our YTH services are every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. The mix, our pre-service time, starts at 5 o'clock. We would love to have you out. If not, find a way to connect with us on Instagram at hp.yth. We would love to connect with you in some way. And God bless.